Thank you so much, Alvin, for being part of today's show on the We Don't Play podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm awesome, Favor. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be hanging out with you today. Yeah, anytime, anytime. You know, today we're going to be talking about a topic people want to hear all the time, cash flow and profit. And they're like, okay, we know what that is, but we don't know how to get it. But some do, some don't. So I think today's episode is going to really help them understand and you as a thought leader is going to give them that direction so i'm looking forward to this yeah me too i think it's well i know it's definitely one of these things that like you said everybody knows about when you're running a business but no one actually ever teaches us or you know talks to us really about how to do it certainly we might have an accountant who might tell us you know what's your cash flow what's your profitability but very few people really spend the time with us to sit down with us as business owners and walk us through it so yeah, I'm really excited to, to be able to provide value to your audience. Definitely. Thank you so much. And, you know, let us start off with your, you know, your profession. What do you do? Let people have yeah. an idea of, you know, the backstory so that people have like some type of context. Yeah. yeah. Sure thing. So I, so I am a, a retail business coach. So I help retail business owners improve their cash flow and profitability. So that's what I'm doing now. But how I actually got to this space of uh, becoming a, a business coach was I used to run pharmacies. So I am a pharmacist by profession. Mm-hmm. I used to live in Melbourne, Australia, and I used to buy and sell pharmacies. So about 15 or 16 years, I actually um, bought and sold and grew large pharmacy based businesses. And then, you know, midway through the pandemic in Melbourne, Australia last year, my wife and I made the decision to uh, move countries. So I sold my business and um, we moved to Germany. But just before I left, I was working with a business coach at the time. And, you know, my business coach, Glenn, he was asking me, Alvin, what are you going to do when you get to Germany? And I was like, dude, I've got no idea. And he kind of suggested that, you know, you've been a really good client. You should be a coach too. And I was like, nah, you know, I could never do that. Um, met up with him again, long story short, and you know, he really made an impression on me uh, about being a coach. So here I am, this is what I'm doing. I'm helping other business owners, retailers do the same thing. That's beautiful. You know, for you to come from pharmacy to business, I mean, pharmacy is still a business, but you know, the fundamental practices that you had to acquire, to be able to sustain the business you have today, I think it played a major role, don't you think? 100%. Absolutely. And in fact, that's what Glenn, my previous business coach said, he's because I was really confused if I was to become a business coach, what would I, you know, what would I coach people on? And he told me, just go back to when you were 26 years old and you first started in business. What would you have liked, you know, if you could travel back in time, what would you have liked to have said to yourself? And so the program that I've created, my methodology is all based on going back in time and hanging out with little Alvin when he first got into business and it'd be like, Alvin, make sure you sort these things out in your business, the fundamentals. So, That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is exciting because, you know, one of the questions that came to mind as you were speaking is, you know, retail business owners, especially for those who have an online business, usually they think about their business and they're like, okay, in the first year I'm going to make X number of dollars. In the second year I'm going to make Y number of dollars. In the third year I'm going to make Z number of dollars. But those numbers are forecasted they're not realistic but sometimes they can either surpass it or not even hit the benchmark so 
What are the fundamental principles that business owners should think about when they're thinking about product outsourcing and also just making sure that they have that visibility online for productivity? Yeah, okay. So when it comes to, so I work with e-commerce owners uh, as well, brand owners, okay? okay? And one of the first things that we look at is, um, you know, when you're sourcing product is to be able to talk to the supplier and obviously make sure that you have a really, really good deal in place. And that can be a little bit challenging when you're first starting out, right? Because you don't really have a track record of dealing with a particular supplier. So I think finding a few different suppliers on the product chain of whatever products that you're selling is really, really important. And then after that, I think it's really important that we start setting up the foundations in our business. And, you know, I like to look at it in a, in a three-pronged way. There are three strategies that we like to use to set people up. Um, when they're doing an e-commerce business and you know the first step is to get an understanding or get a visibility of the numbers in their business super important mm. the second part is to try and start start to optimize your business for cash and the third part of that triangle is to really start to optimize the business for profit so you know when you're just starting out or you know when you've just been around for one or two years these are really the fundamentals before, uh, that you should get established in your business before you start moving on and doing the sexy, sexy marketing stuff, you know? I think that's a mistake a lot of business owners make early on in their career, especially e-commerce and retailers, is we start a business and then, you know, we hear about this marketing strategy and that marketing strategy. We kind of jump around and, you know, without really setting up the foundations because, you know, the marketing stuff is always so much more fun than doing the, the foundational stuff. Right, right. And that's also what came to my mind when you were speaking. And one of the things that popped up in my head was email marketing. You know, when I think about it for e-commerce, I don't know any e-commerce productivity sourcing company that does not have a profitable email list. List, yeah, so, yeah. When people think about that, they're like, oh, here we go again, another strategy. You know, so how does someone who is like a solopreneur, sole proprietor, just literally wants to get started and they're like, okay, I have heard about email marketing, but how do I even get emails? You know, how does yeah. that work? Absolutely. So I think the first part is, as part of your website design, you definitely need to be started to collect email addresses. You know, there's been recent talk of late that email emails did, but actually it's it's not. It's it's one of the foundational pieces of marketing for everybody really, whether you're doing it online or whether you're bricks and mortar, you wanna try and collect as much information from your customer as you can and or client. And email yeah, has really stood the test of time. I think where we as business owners get confused is that, you know, like people receive a lot of emails you know from everyone's jumping on the email uh, bandwagon and you know we often think that our clients are being bombarded with emails and they are but that's besides the point you still need to be collecting email addresses so then you can continue the conversation or start the conversation if you're a new business owner with your clients or customers so i think it's really important that whichever software that you're using to build your online presence your online e-commerce site that we start to collect email addresses and you know, it's a time game. As over time, this will be our greatest gold mine of resource, you know, because once somebody has given you your email, given you their email address, you know, we can start to build a dialogue and start to communicate with them regularly, you know, just by simple newsletter, keeping them up to date. And you know, 
it takes at least 90 days to a couple of years before somebody will buy off you. And you know, even though they might have been a client from yours from the beginning in terms of you know getting uh, giving you the email address, they might not buy for you for a couple of years. So I think it's really important we capture the details and we continue marketing to them, even though in the beginning it feels like it's not working. Mm. I like what you said at the end just now, even if it's not working, because people mm. send emails and they don't get responses, they don't get a thank you, they don't even get a, a response. They can see people open it, but they didn't respond. And that can be very um, disappointing. That's, yes. you know, so how do you keep somebody on track? Is it maybe the messaging? Is there a way they have to conduct themselves? How best can someone look at it so that they don't feel frustrated after sending that email? Absolutely. Great question. And I think the main important thing is to have a plan or a system in place. I think where most business owners fall apart in this particular instance and in other instances is really they don't have a strategy, right? They they don't really have a sequence of emails or, or a plan or any sort of thoughts about how they're going to communicate and relate with their clients or customers. And, you know, many business owners, if we're a solopreneur, we're just starting out we may not have a plan for that. We just probably said we're going to send them a random email maybe once a week and we're not really sure what we're going to discuss. Maybe we might send them what our specials are for the week. But I think it's really important that we take a step back, plan out at least the next four weeks of emails so a month's worth of emails so that we can start to strategize about how we're going to start to communicate with our clients and customers how we can bring them back to our digital assets in the case of e-commerce and really any bricks and mortar, right? Either you want to try and re-expose them to your social media, your website, your thought articles and that kind of thing. So going back to your question, we need a plan in place. And, you know, we need to plan at least four weeks worth of emails out. It's very uh, disconcerting and uncomfortable in the beginning to sit down and plan. But once you develop a framework that's suitable for you, and your clientele, it makes it really easy to roll out the next few months. Mm, I like what you said about the thought articles, you know, mm. giving them things to look at because sometimes when you think about emails, for example, like Fashion Nova, you get an email from them and they just blast all types of pictures on there. And you may think, okay, this is a marketing scheme, but it's like, it's keeping you at level bay, you know. That's, that's so true. So what, what we want to try and do is keep them in our ecosystem, right? Yeah. And, you know, with the magic of the internet, we have a big ecosystem or we can develop a big ecosystem. You were, we were just talking about Pinterest before. So, you know, you can have Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. There are all these digital assets that you can have a conversation with your clients or customers and bring them back to have an experience. And in today's economy, really, because we're also distracted, the most important thing, especially in e-commerce world and bricks and mortar retailing, is to ensure that we're providing an experience for our clients and customers. You know, so your example is perfect. If it's just a whole, you know, like a photo book of pictures and styles, that's great. Or taking them to our medium site where we might have an article about, you know, the fashion, latest fashion trends if we're talking about fashion. But just making sure that, you know, we've got this marketing gravity, this circle of assets. And, you know, every time we're just sort of nudging our clients and customers over to each to each one of them slowly as part of their journey. Yeah. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that because I'm thinking now about like unsubscribes too. You know, mm. when, when we think about unsubscribes and we're like, okay, we'll send out four emails a month. And then in those four emails, I have 200 on my list, but I've lost five. 
now when you think about it are you gonna keep going because you still have 195 or because some people are like don't unsubscribe please that makes me feel bad but it's like you're filtering your audience as you go but what is how does someone prepare their mind for that kind of i won't call it a failure but like a step up absolutely yeah you're right it's a mindset thing so what we've got to understand is when we are developing a business and you know e-commerce retail we want to be really sure of our ideal client right and who our target market is you know customer avatar all these things get they get thrown around when you start a business but very few people actually sit down and understand who they were going to look after who their ideal customer is so i think if we're really clear on who we're chasing or, or you know who we want to serve excuse me <clears throat> then these unsubscribes we've really got to say okay well you know they they weren't our ideal uh, client or customer they didn't resonate with what we were communicating with them and it's okay we just continue on and, and keep moving forward it's so easy to concentrate on our disappointments and our losses where i would much prefer we just continue moving forward celebrate the clients and customers that we do have and, and continue to serve them and you know as we continue to move forward we're definitely going to be getting more email addresses we're definitely going to be connecting with more clients and customers so yeah it's hard in the beginning to get uh, you know to get really upset from those couple of unsubscribes but we need to look at the big picture and the long-term picture yeah that is so true that is so true now when i think about picture something came to my mind when it comes to retail how does someone who has a brick and mortar retail store set up their storefront you know like when you when you walk in the mall and you look at this glass and you're like oh this is a nice dress or this is a nice suit and then you walk in and then you find other things so how does someone set that up for cash flow margins absolutely so what we're talking about is retail merchandising which is a really big part of retailing especially nowadays because what's happening is our clients and customers are not necessarily buying in-store anymore 100% of the time, right? They are buying online and, you know, quite often they, they are now coming into the store to experience something, to see what's available. And for convenience sake, a lot of people are buying online. So what we need to do is be really strategic. Of course, if we're taking the example, actually most retail businesses have some sort of seasonality if you're in fashion then you've got some fashion seasons if you're in my game which is pharmacy we definitely have the seasons we know it could be hay fever season cold and flu season and those kind of things so most businesses have a season in place or you know whether it's halloween or valentine's day or something like that either way we just need to ensure that we optimize our product offering and our experience offering for whatever is happening that season and if we're optimizing for cash flow, we just want to make sure that whoever is doing our merchandising is really understanding, uh, you know, the display that we need to create. We're ensuring that we have the right products there to suit our ideal clients and target marketing. Um, and we've got enough stock presence there. So I think that's really, really important. And you know, there's a whole heap of factors that go into that. Uh, definitely the season, what kind of products people are looking for, also the, the kind of deals that we get from suppliers. So, you know, it's kind of like this magic formula of massaging everything in place. And, you know, it's really challenging to get it right and not, you know, very few retailers get it right, which is the, the tough thing to do. But as long as you approximate and you're making an educated guess based on the data that you have, uh, you can start to set up your displays properly. And when it comes to 
um, you know, if you're looking at a way of increasing cash flow from your product mix, from your merchandising, you know, we can employ some strategies like that when you've got excess stock and it's about either putting them at the register where, you know, when people check out so they see it really well or as soon as they walk in or exit your, your retail shop, making sure that you've got these items that you want to get rid of in a really big solid presence. You know, you want to make it really apparent that the products are there. And that's a combination of signage, lighting. There are so many other strategies that you can use. That's really good. That's, that really helps somebody that's thinking out the box and trying to put themselves in that position. You know, yeah. I'm thinking about profit margins now. What's, uh, I won't call it safe, but what's a scalable profit margin percentage for any business starting off? I know you can you can go so high as possible, but what's a good minimum to start with? Okay, it really depends on your business. So I would not say there is a one-size-fits-all approach, right? If we think about it, our profit margin, if in the case of an e-commerce um, retailer versus a bricks-and-mortar retailer, are going to be slightly different because our profit margin ideally is based on our um, operating costs as well. So it's what I would recommend for retailers that come to me and e-commerce, you know, who are in different marketplaces. We need to research the market and get an understanding of what the average profit margins are. And then let's try and work that into our product mix, okay? And hopefully let's start to get above that because, you know, if we're really clear on who we are serving as our client and, and customers, we can ensure that we get products in and offer solutions to our customers and clients that our competitors don't have because, you know, hopefully they are not serving our ideal clients. And we have an opportunity to raise, uh, raise the margin, you know? And we have like um, premium brands like Versace, you know, all the luxury brands do this really, really well. They know exactly who they're targeting. They're targeting that, uh, that woman or man who really loves the way, how to dress, who likes style and who's happy to pay money, who's happy to see the brand prestige. And you know, all they're selling is a shirt, right? But they've got tremendous margin built in there. So not a one size fits all, unfortunately. It just really involves a little bit of research in the beginning so that you can tailor it to your ideal client. That's a great one. Thank you for that. And you know, when I think about the value of the audience, how important are surveys when it comes to scalability? Uh, yeah. I mean, you have no idea of knowing what your clients want, your ideal clients want, unless you ask them. And the best way to do that is a survey. And in retail, in e-commerce, it's really easy to do because we can send them to an electronic site to do SurveyMonkey and that kind of things in store. We, we get a lot of our clients to just do it the old school way. You know, when somebody's coming out of our store, we sit with a clipboard and we just ask them if they're okay to answer questions. I think surveys are really, really important, often underutilized because they actually provide us with the real raw data that we need. And I think where retailers kind of get a little bit stuck with the survey side of things is we just don't spend the extra 10 minutes that's required to think up the right questions to you know find out exactly what we want and i think this is where it gets a little bit too hard for some retailers but you know it's so important in the beginning and, and actually ongoing as well you know i remember doing surveys nearly every quarter with in my retail business in my pharmacy business because you know consumer trends change all the time and of course with a survey you're really tackling sort of one particular theme or topic and doing them regularly throughout the year allows you to sort of understand different aspects of your client and your 
help you understand your customer's journey. That's a good one. Now, surveys are important. How about reviews? Okay, reviews like uh, reviews of the store? Like on Google, for example. Yeah, yeah, so important, right? Okay, so this, uh, this is, I'm getting excited here. So there's many facets to this. So the first point is yes, we, reviews are important as part of the algorithm. Uh, of Google search and you know there were a couple other really big review sites whether you are bricks and mortar or whether you're e-commerce any business now you definitely need to ensure that you're getting reviews and it's so important when people search you the next side of the equation is as business owners we need to be actively asking our clients and customers to give us reviews and you know Retailers especially, we're a little bit funny about this, I'm really not sure why. Yeah, you know, asking people for reviews, most business owners are. And, you know, I think we just need to be confident. If we know we've provided our client or customer with really good service, and we've made them happy, we've fulfilled their needs, asking them to provide a review is, it should be a natural flow of conversation. So, hey Favor, thank you for shopping with us. Uh, you know, you had a really good experience. Do you mind giving us a review on Facebook or Google? And here is a little piece of paper to show you how to do it. So I think that's the next step. Like, you know, there might be some people who are not confident in our clients and customers who know how to do a review. And one of the strategies that we employ with our clients is to make it really, really easy for them. If you have time installed, let's, let's get the customer's phone and, and, you know, show them how to do it. Or quite often, you know, at the end of the transaction, they're looking to walk away. So we give them something to, uh, you know, like a little piece of paper. And of course, online, it's so much easier because we can just email our clients. There are so many different types of software that can follow up with our clients after they've made the transaction, right? Uh, a lot of e-commerce software has that built in. So underutilized and so, so important for visibility of our business. That is so true. Thank you for highlighting that. You know, as you were mentioning the reviews, I was like, QR codes would be nice if someone just scans it and leaves and then you can say you're on your next purchase, you can get a referral fee or 10% off, you know, discount. Absolutely, yeah, what a great idea. You know, uh, a lot of good loyalty programs that are in the marketplace today uh, for retailers um, don't offer this facility enough, this function enough, you know? It's, um, yeah, it's a great idea. That is great. Thank you so much for highlighting this. Now, when it comes to retail business cash flow and profit, how and i know you might say it depends because it also happens with different industries but yeah. when you look at it from january to december what quarter usually yields the most profit and why okay so yeah you're right it depends it really depends but if we look at the bulk of retail we're usually selling things right and in my experience and working with my clients it's typically the holiday or the christmas season because Everything is geared around gift giving and um, Christmas time. So that traditionally can be the busiest time of the year for you. You know, that um, December, November and October. So those last three months usually can be quite busy. But then, you know, you've got other other businesses that aren't gift based and it might be totally seasonal. I know there are some pharmacies that don't um, participate in any gifts and that kind of thing, so they're purely medicinal based, so they might have their busiest period during, you know, when it's cold and flu season, that kind of thing. But I would say looking at shopping centers and just looking at my client base, we're looking at, you know, the last three months of the year when it gets, when, you know, when Santa Claus comes 
it's typically when most people are really really busy okay okay yeah i think that's a good one to mention and i think that also boils down to the emails codes promotions and all those things some people want to just clear the inventory for the year and it can get really busy or messy (laughs) yes yes messy is a big thing you know especially when you've got inventory and inventory needs to be managed it needs to be looked after and um you know we need to make sure that we've got people you know really caring for our inventory because if we get that wrong man it just calls cascades into a whole heap of other problems especially in our retail businesses yeah you know now now i'm thinking about the cons of you know retailing in the sense that because i just want people to also have this idea and not think oh it's an easy breeze you know what are the things for them to what are the things that they should avoid especially when it comes to chargebacks disputes refunds you know all you know just things that can alter the business cash flow and profit margins how best can businesses think about this thing so that they're protected internally as a business yeah absolutely so you definitely need to have some sort of refund policy in place we need to be really clear so our team are really clear on the floor on what that policy is right and you know i think a lot of retailers make the mistake of obviously not having a policy in place and they're kind of taking everything back and it really depends on your business whether you want to do that i would really encourage everyone to you know really think it through about what's going to be suitable for their business maybe set some time frames definitely want to ensure that you have a, a receipt in place um because one of the things that can happen and you want to avoid this is people buying things from somewhere else and you know trying to do fraudulent transactions with you and come back to you for a refund mm. and it surprises me how many retailers still don't have some sort of proof of purchase before they hand out you know the money back to refunds for for the customers you know so i think that's really really important the other thing i think that's really important with cash flow for retailers is to you know start to actually track your cash flow and measure your cash flow and um, unfortunately not a lot of retailers do that or if they kind of do it they rely on their bookkeeper or their accountant to do it and so tracking is really important and from tracking the next most important thing is to start forecasting your cash flow because um, you know that kind of gives you like vision into the future on what uh, what could happen to your business if you start to make some little changes mm. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Thank you for that. Now, what would you tell your younger self about what you know now that you could improve on? And there's always room for improvement, but what would you tell your younger self so that when someone's listening to this, they can think of themselves in that shoe as well? Yes, absolutely. So one of the first things I I would do when I go back and talk to myself um, and it's actually something that I do now with my clients and customers is, and it sounds, doesn't sound very business related. And I think it's so important though. So when I would go back to my 26 year old self, I would say, Hey Alvin, you know, let's think about a vision for your life. You know what I mean? Like, what do you want to achieve in your life? What makes you happy? What is really going to drive you forward and make you happy without respect to money? Um, so I think the, the major issue that, that I see that business owners having today is they have no vision for their life, right? So they're constantly doing things in their business, maybe chasing money, which is fine. But when things get really, really tough, you know, it makes it really easy to fold the cards and to give up. But if you have a vision for your life, if you actually know 
what you value, what your values are in life, what would you love to be doing in your life and let's set up this business so the business can provide everything you want in your life, you know? So let's create a business that allows you to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu two, three times a week, that you can be traveling the world. And so, you know, when it gets time to doing the hard things in your business, because when you start working with a, with a coach or a consultant, you know, we're gonna get you to do some hard things, setting up procedures and systems is not fun initially, right? And you're gonna be like, ah, screw this, this is too hard. But once we have that vision in mind and once we know what you're working towards, it makes it so much easier. So that's the missing piece. I would First thing I would go back and tell myself is like, hey, let's sit down, let's figure out what makes you happy, what's really important to you, you know, in the future, what would you rather be doing with your time? How do you want to contribute to society? Um, all those kind of things. That's great. That is so great. Thank you so much for this, Alvin. Now, the last question I want to ask you is this. Where do you see the e-commerce and retail business in the next five years? Yeah, um, I see it. So what I see happening, so there's, there's two things, right? Okay, yeah. so there's the regular e-commerce, small player. I think that's going to be still very predominant in the marketplace. It's going to be so much um, opportunity for an individual player or a smaller e-commerce player because, you know, now we have the world as our playground. Logistics is getting so much better. Shipping is getting so much better. That whole, that whole thing, thanks to Amazon, um, is really, really improving. And the ability to source products and really the ability to target people all over the world within our niche is so much easier now. So I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for our e-commerce guys and girls. So the next part is our retailers, you know, our mom and pop shops on the high street that have been there forever. How are these guys gonna adapt to the new marketplace, you know, where we've got online and all these things happening? And I think what's gonna happen, what needs to happen is our retailers, our bricks and mortar retailers need to ensure that, you know, there's this term in retailing called omni-channel. They need to make sure they have an online presence, a big online presence, and if they're not selling online, they need to be able to create this in-store experience that I was talking about earlier, you know? Because really, as we're walking in through our shopping centers, what's really stopping us from buying everything online? It's gonna be walking past that shop, looking in, seeing the window, like you said, and walking into that store, and then all of a sudden, a real person might engage you, provide really excellent service, and you're gonna have this amazing experience, which is really hard to be matched online mm. so i think it's going to be really important for retailers bricks and mortar retailers moving forward to really think about the experience they're providing to their customers and clients so there's going to be those two things that are happening and i don't i don't think that high street retailing is dead we just need to change the model a little bit because you know there are still going to be people who are going to be walking so to speak and going to walk past your shop and people still love going to like a shopping center or a mall you know we just need to make the experience a little bit more memorable so they come in into our store and then we can engage them. And even if they don't buy from us right there and then, hopefully, if, we're, you know, if we've got ourselves sorted, they, they'll probably go home and buy from our website at mm, night time. You know, want to make sure we get the experience happening so they remember our brand. I, I love that. Remembering the brand even when you're away from the brand. That is yes. a, that's a big one. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Alvin. This has been a very helpful episode. It's been so en en enlightening. A lot of people, I'm sure, are now relieved 
of the stress you know like okay now i know what to do maybe i don't have it all figured out but i have a pathway to work with and this has been a great episode for us to put that into perspective so i really appreciate you for this album thank you thank you so much for having me on anytime anytime if there's a way they can connect with you maybe they need some more expert advice or help you know with you directly what are the options they have available Absolutely. So if you're a retailer, a retail business owner, your e-commerce, or you've got a bricks and mortar store and you want some help with this stuff in your business to improve your cash flow and profitability, um, just basically search me everywhere. You know, put my name, Alvin Nasi. I'm sure, uh, Faber, you're going to have uh, links to my profile. But if you just put me into Google, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. You can send me a message and my website is there. I'm all over YouTube. So just let me know, contact me and we can continue the conversation. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Alvin. And I'm so excited that you were able to join us today on the We Don't Play podcast show. And I look forward to having you back here again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Faber. Have good fun. Thank you. Thank you.